0: Welcome to this May 4th edition of the Total Soccer Show. May the 4th be with you. I didn't even realize it was that date until I started this introduction. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me is a man who nearly signed for Blackburn, I assume, because so many people nearly signed for Blackburn. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan.
1: Hello, Tay-Tay. Um I have actually been to Blackburn once. I mm-hmm. would say it is the worst place in the world I've ever been. No exaggeration. That is genuinely my number one worst place in the world I've ever been. I'm sorry to anyone here who's listening from Blackburn, Lancashire. Uh, I'm not sure they've got the internet there right now, but we'll. Uh, uh, I, I, I'll offer my apologies all the same. It was. I was working a summer job, Taytay, mm-hmm. at college where I had to... Here's a fun fact. I was working for a banana company and mm-hmm. I went to one particular supermarket in the UK. I went and to like every branch, every every store, to look at their bananas. This is my job, right? Mm-hmm. So I went all around the UK, and the worst place, which I still think is the worst place in the world, I'd rather live in downtown Baghdad than Blackburn. Honestly, I just never felt so unsafe during daylight hours. That's all I'll say.
0: Is that what it was? So it's just yeah. uh, was it was it crime? It was just like it didn't give you that that uh, that comfortable feeling that Wimbledon gives you it was
1: very much the opposite it was a little grim and i'm I, I, i'm risking sounding snobby here but it just there was a very a, a feeling of not being very safe um so uh, all, all credit to blackburn and the things they achieved in the 90s but i'm glad i didn't live there and i'll all also right. say Taylor, off the top of your intro there i have never seen star wars this might be the theme tune i'm not sure
0: have you really you've never seen a single one negative wow what, what was that was that like you didn't see it when you were young and then it became is it like a point of pride like i'm just never gonna do it
1: yeah it got to a point when i was a, like a late late teenager and thought i've not seen it now it's it's kind of a cool thing to say i've never seen them and it's just continued I've, I've zero interest in it i've never seen harry potter lord of the rings or star wars but i consider myself something of a film buff at the same time which is a bit of a contradiction in terms
0: i don't I don't understand. Like, did you go to the movies in the 2000s? How, how did you avoid all of these things?
1: So the one I remember coming out when I was a kid was The Phantom Menace. And I remember a lot of my school friends going to see it. And I was like, oh, they're fighting in space. That's not really my deal. Nah. <laughs> Don't like you,
0: dude, in the course of this introduction, you could not n- sound more, I don't know if you've watched the English game yet, you could not sound more like uh, you would be at home with the old Etonians. You, you've got the, the London accent, you have a summer job traveling around inspecting a very shops, empty Blackburn. Uh, you don't enjoy the north, and uh, you, you don't have any time for this sci-fi fiction. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you were sitting at home with your many le- leather-bound works instead.
1: <laughs> very much so. The blackburn of the English game, by the way. Very different to the one I saw.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would I would imagine I would imagine that's the case. Speaking of historical teams, I should note up front, um, Daryl and I are continuing the International Champions Cup of History this week. I think that's the title as it is now. Oh, it's sponsored by Bill and Ted's uh whatever their next one, it face the music. Uh we're gonna increasingly uh, elaborate the title. But for now, uh, I'll just say that we are going to be doing uh, two more games early this week and then two more at the end of the week. But on Tuesday, Daryl and I are going to be recording about the 2000-2003 to 2003 Boca Junior side versus the 95-96 Ajax side. Ooh. I'm very excited about that game. Uh, that Was one, that, uh, uh,
1: is that Carlos Tevez-era Boca? Uh,
0: it is, and it is nice. Louis van Hall era Ajax when they... Passed 400 times despite only touching the ball 200 times. Somehow they still pulled that off. <laughs> um, and then a more modern one, uh, the second game in that one would be the 2016-2018 to 2018 Real Madrid squad, uh, which we may talk about very briefly on today's episode, uh, versus the 2018-2020 to 2020 Liverpool team. That is a draw that happened organically. It's, it's two very modern teams that we are very excited to talk about and very excited to talk about because it doesn't require that much research because they're fairly new in the memory.
1: Woof woof. I mm-hmm. like the sound of both of those, Tay Tay.
0: All right. So Daryl and I will be doing that tomorrow. But today, Ryan and I and I are going to be talking about the transfers. That nearly happened. So we are not yet into the summer window. We're not even sure when the summer window is going to happen, if there's going to be one at all, if there will ever be soccer again. I'm pretty sure at least one of those things will happen. Uh, but as we look towards transfers, it's what people tend to do. Uh, we should also look at some of the transfers that almost happened, came very close to happening, or were just sort of rumored, rumbled on for forever, but didn't come to fruition for whatever reason. There are some really big ones here. There are some very well-known ones. There are some that I was very much less familiar with, but on a lot of occasions there are moves that could have kind of completely changed the fortunes of a club one way or the other, uh, or maybe the fortunes of a player or a couple different players, but in the end that didn't end up happening for whatever reason. Um, We've got a very lengthy list, Ryan. We can just kind of jump around, talk about whatever we want, wherever we want to. Where would you like to start?
1: Let's house of pain, jump around to my favorite place in the UK, Blackburn, Lancashire, tay mm-hmm. I consider this transfer that never happened to be the archetype of the genre. Okay. This is Mr. Zinedine Zidane, who did not go to Blackburn Rovers in the summer of 1995. Yes. Shall I elaborate for you? I
0: would love for you to elaborate, because he definitely did not go. I can confirm that for sure.
1: I can confirm, and I, I'm not sure if he's ever been to Blackburn, so he doesn't even, he doesn't even have the context of I do of that uh, less than wonderful city. Anywho, Blackburn in the summer Mm -hmm. of 1995, you may recall, Taylor, they were the Premier League champions. Jack Walker, a sort of a local uh, magnate of sorts, uh, put a lot of money into the team, uh, and they got to number one, baby, in the Premier League. They were top of the world. How can we capitalize on this? Oh, I know, there's a fella at Bordeaux who's up and coming. His name's Zinedine Zidane. Mm -hmm. However, that's as far as the conversation went because the aforementioned Jack Walker came out with the immortal phrase, why do we want Sedan when we have Tim Sherwood? Mm-hmm. This is the soccer equivalent of why get the new Range Rover when we have the two thousand one Toyota Camry? <laughs>
0: I mean, the Camry is reliable. You know, it's it's gonna get you there, uh, and you maybe you don't know the same thing about the Range Rover, and that is sort of the way it was in this one, from what I understand. Is basically the argument was Sherwood had just captained that Rover's team, who were uh, the champions, versus Zidane yeah. just breaking through. He's he's some foreign import. We don't know that much about so. That line of reasoning sort of makes sense. But I've heard I think I saw I forget what journalist it was pointing out that like, this is sort of representative of Blackbirds' mentality at the time that they weren't looking big picture. They were sort of we've won the title. Let's just keep that team together assign to people who can sort of maybe strengthen it, but not necessarily supplant anybody. And we'll just keep it going. Whereas maybe if you want to establish that dynasty, it does require importing young Frenchmen to eventually become Ballon d'Or winners.
1: Very much so, yeah. And to, to, to give Tim Sherwood credit, he was very important in that Blackburn team, and he would yeah. have been ultimately replaced by Zidane, which may not have been a bad thing with hindsight, but hindsight is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. And this was an era of the Premier League where there weren't as many foreign players. And mm. sort of, um, who was sort of, sort of Bergkamp and Klinsmann were sort of the first sort of, who, who brought in that era of foreign players. So this would have been a, an eyebrow raiser, shall we say, if Zidane yeah. had come and taken the place of Tim Sherwood in this team. But, Taylor, if we're going to look and extrapolate out how this Blackburn team did and how they would have done. That season, 95 96, they were defending their title. Uh, Blackburn finished seventh. Uh, I can remember watching the Champions League uh, on TV that year, and it was, I can specifically remember watching Blackburn against Rosenborg. Uh, on in the Champions League. They were miserable in the Champions League that season. The one thing you'll remember about that campaign is there was a game, it might have been the Rosenborg game, where Graham Lasso and I think it was David Batty had a fight on the field. So that was sort of uh, very indicative of the kind of season that Blackburn had. At the end of that season, uh, they sold their star striker, Alan Shearer, uh, more on him later. So the, this was kind of where the band fell apart at this point, Taylor. And I yeah. think... I believe four years after winning the Premier League title, Blackburn were relegated. So
0: it's strange. It's strange to see how much Blackburn feature in some of these lists because the mm. other one I wanted to add here was that they also were very, very close to on a free transfer in 1993, signing Roy Keane, uh, and mm. that's when Manchester United were champions. Blackburn were fourth, so I think two seasons before Blackburn get the title. But imagine that you had for like early to mid to late 90s a Blackburn squad that, at their spine, had Roy Keane and Zinedine. Zidane I don't know if that central midfield pairing ever gets beaten
1: <laughs> perhaps not I can just imagine Keane and Zidane having to go and live in Blackburn and thinking what have I done with my life but that's <laughs> another question altogether also a little Man United link here Blackburn mm. uh, sorry Zidane was also linked with Manchester yep. United um, Eric Cantona was reported to have spoken to Alex Ferguson about his countrymen there uh, Ferguson said no that job is for you Mr. Cantona Cantonar retired a year later. So maybe with a bit of long term planning, Zidane, uh, long term thought, Zidane could have been a Man United player as well. But as we know, went to Juventus instead and turned out quite good for them, didn't he? He certainly
0: did. Yeah, there's a long proud tradition of players almost signing for English clubs and then signing for bigger European clubs and having uh, greater success. We'll talk about many <laughs> of them uh, still to come. But the, the Roy Keane one really like reading some of these had me feeling like uh Sir Alex Ferguson was like basically the KGB slash like Stasi of the 90s football era that like the Blackburn one with, with Roy Keane he knew their office was closed on the weekend so they couldn't finalize the deal so he swooped in over the weekend and finalized the deal with Roy Keane knowing that Blackburn were closed and it feels like there are Lots of stories about Sir Alex Ferguson doing that, about like snaking his way in or finding a loophole or finding a cell phone number to be able to talk to a player, <laughs> and then maybe that's what it takes. Again, you've got to be able to sign Zinedine Zidane when he's a promising youngster, and you've got to have everybody's cell phone numbers and know how to manipulate the system. But it would have been fascinating to get to get uh, Zidane and Roy Keane, specifically uh, Zinedine Zidane at Blackburn. Uh, but I guess it, it worked out all the best. Should we stay with Blackburn for a moment, Let's or stay should we move on? All yeah. right, because we've got two cute. more, two more for it's Blackburn. Re- <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's keep going on that Blackburn vibe. It is cute that you said that they'd have cell phone numbers in 1993, by the way. They were were paging at best. (laughs) Um, Let's go a little further into the future, though, in in Lancashire. This is the 2010-11 season. Robert Lewandowski Mm -hmm. very, very, very nearly came to Ewood Park. Um, This campaign, Blackburn Rovers did not score a lot of goals, Uh, I believe, the top scorer, that was like Jason Roberts, Franco DeSanto, uh, Kalinic and David Hoyler. They, I think they all had like five goals. They were the joint top scorers. It was an embarrassing low number, basically. And they had this opportunity to sign Robert Lewandowski. The price would have been a mere three million pounds at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. The reason he did not come was not due to Tim Sherwood or any other playing reason. It was... The volcanic ash cloud. This
0: is one of the more ridiculous ones, I have to say.
1: It's kind of ridiculous. It was the volcanic ash cloud, which, as you may remember or may not, it stopped basically all Mm -hmm. European air travel. During that sort of, it was a few week period. I remember it specifically because I was in Bilbao filming a documentary about Athletic Club. And I got stuck there and had to drive from Bilbao back to London. Interesting that you uh, bring
0: that up because that was the, I believe, offer given to Robert Lewandowski around this time period was all the airports are shut down. You could drive here to sign for Blackburn. He didn't really yeah. take that one. I don't know if you know that or not, Ryan, but he elected to not do that. He instead stayed in Poland, side with Borussia Dortmund, and I I think never looked back would be my guess.
1: I'd, I'd say he pulled up Google Maps and said, hmm, the distance from here to Dortmund <laughs> is a lot shorter <laughs> than going to Blackburn. And my friend Ryan Bailey's been telling me a lot of things about Blackburn that I don't like. So, um, yeah, he he ended up going to Borussia Dortmund instead for the same price as well. Wow.
0: Um, that, that, and, it, and that's... That's an amazing one because so many of these, there's tons of listicles and articles written about this topic, and you'll get a bunch that are sort of like, oh, they put in a bid. Like, like, bids are rumored and supposedly put in all of the time, but then there are these types of stories. That's why I say it's one of the more ridiculous, absurd ones, that, like, he was going to be there. Like, Robert Lewandowski was going Mm. to be a Blackburn player, and then a volcano erupts and disrupts all of (laughs) European traffic. Like, that... If ever there were a moment when, like, like Roy Keane, oh, your office is closed, you get beaten. And then Zidane, like, oh, you think you've got Tim Sherwood. Maybe not the best decision in hindsight, but still, like, that's just sort of modern soccer happening. But a volcano making it so that you can't sign a player is not a thing I think you can really ever build into your plans if you're a football director.
1: Yeah. This is Iceland ruining, ruining all the English fun many years <laughs> before Euro 2016. Um, I will, I'll put it to you, Taylor, mm-hmm. that Blackburn would have had Quite a different fate if Robert Lewandowski had joined. Uh, that season, the 2010-11 season, as I say, the top goal scorers were, uh, they had five goals. That was a top goal scoring amount. Uh, they finished 15th in the league. This was the season when they were bought by the much maligned Venkis, mm-hmm. the uh, Indian chicken magnates. Robert Lewandowski in that season only scored eight goals. However, the season after, he scored 22. Yeah. That season, Blackburn were relegated.
0: The season I, put he it to you, I, I put it to
1: you. I put it to you that those twenty-two goals would have been quite useful <laughs> if he had applied them in a Blackburn shirt that season. Yeah.
0: And and from what I remember of Blackburn's football of the time, it also feels like a blend that would have worked really well. Like, I I can picture Robert Lewandowski fitting into that Blackburn team, obviously a team that was not particularly successful, but, like, you don't have him as being this, like, very specific set of skills that require a specific system. Like, I think he could have been plugged in and and found a decent amount of success fairly quickly. So Mm. that is also a, like, what if of if that volcano doesn't erupt, do we have Blackburn as this dominant side? And really, with everything we've talked about, there Could be this weird narrative of like Blackburn, Roy Keane, Zinadine, Zidane, they dominate the 90s, and then there's this second wave coming in of uh, let's start with Lewandowski, but then that same season, 2010-2011, in the winter of 2011, Blackburn are very seriously in for Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho is going to feature a lot in this conversation, uh, but in yeah, January 2011, they offer him a three-year deal worth, I believe, 20 million pounds in uh, total. The deal eventually falls through, as is often the case with Ronaldinho, but again, you could have had. Ronaldinho as your number 10, Robert Lewandowski ahead of him. I don't know if that would have worked, but it would have been absolutely fascinating to watch.
1: Ronaldinho, he's, he's gone to his agent. How many nightclubs do they have in Blackburn? <laughs> What's that? They have none. They have oh. one pub. Not going
0: you uh you wait because that is almost literally a story I'm going to tell in a moment about Mr. Ronaldinho. <laughs> anything else you wanted to say about blackburn
1: No, no, no apart from the uh, yeah, once again it was uh, it's a rough place go on. I always go back to
0: uh there was a guardian like a guardian Fiverr uh email many many years ago that referred to Coventry city as uh the city that put the words concrete and nightmare into the phrase concrete nightmare, and it always <laughs> made me less inclined to go to Coventry. Maybe I'm less inclined to go to Blackburn as well because of Ryan Bailey. But what I am inclined to do is drink some delicious water. And to help me do that is today's sponsor. It's our friends at Hydrant. Hail Hydrant as uh, Ryan and Daryl, and I guess me now because uh, I'm, I am sheep and I follow the herd, uh, like to say with Hydrant, you can jump start your mornings, Mr. Ryan
1: Bailey. You can indeed. Hydrant creates flavoured electrolyte packets that you uh, mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium and zinc. Don't forget zinc. They help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day long. And they help you sing as well.
0: you got to be hydrated to sing as beautifully and uh, <laughs> melodiously as Ryan Bailey just did. So if you don't want to have to utilize coffee to get you going, there are the mornings when you need coffee, when it just is the thing that the taste buds are requiring. But I also have those mornings when I wake up and I'm like, I... I want water. Like, I need a little bit of hydration. I need a little bit to get the day going. Uh, and Hydrant can tick that box, certainly. And then their rapid hydration mixes have the four essential electrolytes your body needs. You've got sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc to help you hydrate quickly. Stay hydrated all day, as Mr. There, Ryan Bailey already said. Is there an echo in here? <laughs> uh, Hydrant is backed by research with that in mind. Uh, the formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. Now, so- Ox- is You're is Oxford I like. people, Ryan. There you I, go.
1: I like it because these aren't Cambridge scientists. These mm-hmm. are Oxford scientists. Much better. Far superior. I'm on board. <laughs> so uh, you can get
0: 25% off your first order by going to drinkhydrant.com and entering the promo code SOCCER at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com. Enter promo code SOCCER at checkout for 25% off your first order. Ryan Bailey, one more time. I'm going to go first and last every time we're doing an
1: ad drinkhydrant.com promo code soccer mm-hmm. that was less melodious mm, i'll work on that oh i i still enjoyed it so remember hydrant starts at
0: just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply you can save even more with a monthly subscription drinkhydrant.com promo code soccer all right ryan Let's keep going with Ronaldinho for a moment because I've got two more for you. Uh, one of them slightly briefer, uh, but the big one uh, would be Ronaldinho to the New York Red Bulls. Uh, that was the rumor uh, that kind of like got thrown around in the early 2010s thereabout, and then it kind of you'd hear him linked with the team every now and then. But this comes mm-hmm. from uh, Dave Martinez on Twitter, uh, who's uh, a big Red Bulls uh, reporter, podcaster, uh, all things Red Bull talker. Uh, he says uh, this is a tweet. An unconfirmed story from several sources regarding Ronaldinho that I heard years ago. Apparently, Red Bull New York were interested in him. They scheduled a call. When it came, it was clear Ronaldinho was drunk. He was rambling, talking crap, and asking about women. Uh, Multiple other sources have confirmed that he basically rambled on and on about the the women he was interested in finding in New York. Uh, The call was apparently quite short. And after that, Red Bull (laughs) lost interest. Um, One thing that does lend a little bit of credence to them is that this is before they signed Thierry Henry so it kind of meets the idea that they were looking for this kind of flair attacking player who could be the face of the franchise and with that in mind, maybe Ronaldinho drunkenly asking about what kind of women there were going to be in New York wasn't the face of the franchise they were necessarily looking for
1: Did he find out what kind of women there would be?
0: (laughs) I I do wonder if there was an attempt to answer that question or if everybody (laughs) sort of awkwardly laughed and then like pivoted to something else and then he just refused to pivot along with them
1: yeah, that's that's uh, that's going to be an awkward call, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, um, this is the so he was at Milan at this point, I'm guessing. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So this is before he sort of went and did the tour of the South American clubs. So I could I could I could see that happening in another world where he wasn't drunk on the call. Yeah, <laughs> It it's it is
0: interesting to hear how many teams he was linked with, especially later on. And it does then explain sort of how he finds himself in his current situation of, I believe, still incarcerated in Paraguay. Is he he still? I think he is. Maybe they've gotten out. But last I read, he was there slightly concerned about coronavirus, but also having steak dinners and playing soccer. So uh, I'm hoping he is no longer incarcerated. But um, if he is, maybe we'll get some transfer rumors sometime soon. It seems to be what happens because we also had him heavily linked with Manchester United, a move that apparently very very nearly happened in the Mm. 2003 summer, Uh, we could have had a situation which would have been very strange. We could have had David Beckham at Barcelona, Ronaldinho at Manchester United, and Ronaldo at Arsenal. Uh, That is how things were kind of set to go. But essentially then Beckham... The deal with Barcelona falls through. Instead, Man United get a better offer from Real Madrid. So Beckham goes to Madrid. uh, Barcelona now not getting David Beckham. They need someone to strengthen the midfield to be a midfield creator and a provider. So they turn to Ronaldinho. They bring in Ronaldinho instead. So Man United lose Ronaldinho. They've already sold David Beckham. So then they bring in Ronaldo at the expense of Arsenal. But it's a weird series of dominoes that didn't fall and then very quickly did Uh, but we could have had Ronaldinho uh, with Manchester United albeit very briefly and it is a case uh, there's another player like this where I do then wonder if like the Sir Alex Ferguson hairdryer treatment would have worked or if it would have just blown up spectacularly
1: I get the feeling that Sir Alex Ferguson and Ronaldinho would not have rubbed each other the right way oh you think that's just an inkling in my bones there um, yeah. And interesting, you touched on another one there, David Beckham to Barcelona, which was a big deal before he went to Real Madrid. My understanding was that the the Barcelona president at the time campaigned on bringing Beckham to the Camp Nou. He was like, mm. oh, if you'll let me, I'll get him guaranteed. They elected him and he did not fulfill his promises he like the not. politician he is. <laughs>
0: But it's okay because he's elected and now no one will ever hold him accountable again. It's lovely the way these things work. Uh, But yeah, so no Ronaldinho to uh, Manchester United. Instead he goes to Barcelona. You're right that I think a specific type of player responds to Sir Alex Ferguson. I don't know if that would have been Ronaldinho. So probably uh, best for all parties that that move didn't happen. I don't know how it would have worked at New York, but it probably would have been at the very least interesting. And given our friends the Cooligans a lot to talk about. Uh, So Ronaldinho (laughs) to New York. Ryan, where should we move next?
1: Why don't we go to Manchester United once again, and a player who rejected them not once but twice? Ooh, who is this? A man who has gone, uh, who came from, or who played for a club, a a city that's very dear to my heart, Blackburn Rovers. Ah. uh, Alan Shearer. Mm. Alan Shearer to Manchester United. Uh, He in 1992 when he was at Southampton. Fun fact: he uh, autographed my brother's football program when Wimbledon played Southampton back in the day because when you used to go down the front they used to actually the stand we used to stand in at Selhurst Park was the one where Eric Cantona did the kung fu kick Uh and when the players trained before games when they were going back to the tunnel they'd all come and sign your your books and your programs for you so we all used to do that my brother got Alan Shearer's autograph before he was famous when he was at Southampton fun fact for you so what you're
0: saying is that Eric Cantona was just trying to continue the tradition of signing autographs he was just using the bottom of his foot
1: yeah, he was just very misunderstood. That was all it was. Yeah, is that and not how maybe, you sign?
0: I thought I, I, just watched my left foot. I understood that's how you do things. Uh, maybe what I'm actually
1: saying, Tay Tay, is that if the butterfly, if we're using the butterfly effect here, mm-hmm. if he hadn't have signed that program, things might have worked out differently. He might not have. He might have gone to Manchester United. <laughs> You never know. And it all could have been fine. Instead, (laughs) here we are. Anywho, in 1992, he had the opportunity to go to Manchester United, chose Blackburn and their money bags instead. He went for £3.6 million to Blackburn instead. Kind of the 90s equivalent of choosing Man City over a club like Liverpool or Arsenal, I suppose, going going with the money, which is what he did and obviously won a league title out of it. He would have arguably won some league titles if he'd have gone to Manchester United instead, however... And then uh, the opportunity. And Manchester United, by the way, instead uh, of going for Alan Shearer, they signed a young man called Eric Cantona instead from Ooh. Leeds United, and that worked out okay for them for a few seasons at least. <laughs> Let's fast forward to 1996, a summer mm. thereof. Uh, uh, Alan Shearer on top of the world, having almost taken England to Euro '96 glory. Uh, another opportunity to go to the theatre of dreams. However, he goes to the theatre of his dreams, St. James's Park, a boyhood Newcastle fan. United couldn't compete with the fact that Shearer wanted to play in those black and white stripes. Uh, so he signed for a world record £15 million pounds for Newcastle instead. That seems very quaint, doesn't it? £15 it really million does. was the world record back then. Uh, the reason, not only that he was a Newcastle loyalist, but also that Jack Walker... The Blackburn owner, the aforementioned, didn't like Manchester United. He hated them. And Shearer regarded him as a kind of father figure whom he didn't want to upset. So that was a motivation for him too. Shearer had actually been to Alex Ferguson's house to talk out the deal. Uh, Ferguson explained to him that he wanted him to come. But nope, he didn't do it. Now, Taylor, that's the story. Here's where I predict that things get interesting. I'm excited. Instead of signing Alan Shearer... They brought in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Hmm. So, a few years later, three seasons later, could it be that Manchester United do not win the treble because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not there to put his boot on a last-minute goal? Or could it be that Man United were already 3-0 up in that game against Bayern Munich because Alan Shearer was playing for them and he scored 260 Premier League goals and was quite good at scoring? it changes changes,
0: history, or at least my Man United fandom, significantly. Because, like is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the manager today if he doesn't score that Champions League goal and have that right. sort of significance is Alan Shearer the manager today because he sticks around and becomes a club hero and now he's shepherded Man United in the post-Ferguson era we could have a world in which like, he takes over and has his own dynasty it seems unlikely but... I can
1: answer the I can answer the second part of that question no Shearer had a go <laughs> at management for like four games and his team got relegated so I think he left that well alone I mean, where was he managing though? wasn't he managing uh, Newcastle which, Newcastle yeah Newcastle. He, he took over like what like six games to go and yeah. they went down so yeah i don't
0: know if i can blame him entirely for, for he doesn't the talk about that long. um but it's interesting you bring up alan Shearer because that could have changed things dramatically and it's not the first uh england international that could have changed things dramatically for uh sir alex ferguson because paul Gascoigne, i would say is on that list as well mm. um Could have gone to Manchester United in uh, 1988, uh, shortly after Gascoigne finished as the PFA Player of the Year for the 87-88 season uh, when he was at Newcastle. But Manchester United could have gone for him, could have gotten him, did go for him at the age of just 21 years old. Sir Alex Ferguson said in his biography, I believe, that it was his biggest regret not bringing him in. As far as I understand, this story is basically – this is from a Ferguson interview. Quote, uh, we spoke to him the night before I went on holiday. He says, go and enjoy yourself, Mr. Ferguson. I'll be signing for Manchester United. Uh, We should note he was not yet a Sir Alex at that point. So Mr. would have been appropriate. Um, So I went on my holidays, but Martin Edwards, who was then the chairman, rang and said, I've got some bad news. He signed for Tottenham. They bought a house for his mother and father in the Northeast, and that swung it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that'll do it. Bu- buying a house for the parents uh, definitely will probably go a long way towards making that player feel stable. But sure. similar to what we were talking about with some other players, I do think Gascoigne would be one who would have gotten the Ferguson hairdryer treatment on a number of occasions, and I think maybe might have responded to it a little bit better than, say, uh, Ronaldinho would have. But there's this all the stories of, like, Ryan Giggs, when he was first getting established, that he was hanging out with Lee Sharp, who was a bit of a party boy, had people over, drank, smoked, all that stuff. And Ferguson oh, yeah. like showed up in a tuxedo to drag Ryan Giggs out of a party and basically said, like, you're not doing this anymore. Giggs responds to that well, and now we have Ryan Giggs being Ryan Giggs, whereas Lee Sharp kind of falls by the wayside. And really, you could see either one of those being Paul Gascoigne. You could see a young pal, Paul Gascoigne getting pulled out of a party and deciding to respond, and now suddenly he's this legend who doesn't have this tragic story. Or it could have just been exacerbated by even more stress and more pressure, and we end up in an even worse situation, or maybe the exact same situation. I kind of think the second is more likely.
1: Yeah, I get like the impression that Ferguson would have treated Gascoigne as like a project to work on. Yeah. So, you know, he's got that that fatal flaw in his character, and something that you know he he has all that goodwill within him and, and tremendous skill. I think it would have been a different, very different scenario to Ronaldinho and a very different attitude, and some and who knows what kind of player. Um, Gaza would have been but it's interesting to think that he chose Tottenham instead Why do you say that? Because Tottenham in the early 90s up until about say last year are not quite the club that Manchester United would have been as a prospect to join if you could could, if you could join any club like he was with he was with Newcastle wasn't he so he was he was with his hometown club you know arguably outgrew Mm. them at that point could have gone anywhere in the world basically and went to Tottenham
0: is that is that like a sign, do you think, of where Gaza was? That it was almost the like, you buy me a house? All right, cool. That's fine. Like, like was he that, do you think, that level of just like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't really want to think about it. Like, is he a Rob Gronkowski type figure?
1: <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. I think but so. all I do know is I'm glad that the path went the way it did because subsequently after Tottenham, he went to Lazio, which when you were growing up in the UK, as I did at that age, um, Serie A was basically all you could watch on on regular tv and Hmm. james richardson who presents another podcast allegedly um was (laughs) this host of this show called uh, football italia and uh, the the show was actually supposed to be hosted by gaza and gaza ended up just doing like skits for them and stuff and um they were fantastic he was really good value on camera and one of my favorite ever stories in soccer comes from um paul gascoigne's time in lazio he had a sort of a minder a guy who was like his his right-hand man called jimmy five bellies who I actually met with Paul Gascoigne on my 10th birthday in Planet Hollywood in London. That's another story for another oh, day.
0: Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. Jimmy so Five he, Bellies. Uh, but
1: he he used to fly out Jimmy Five Bellies to Italy quite often to see him, but he would like do things like like one time he booked him via Tokyo. <laughs> So he put him on like a flight for like seventeen hours or something just, just because he could because he thought it was funny. Just that's that was the, sort the of thing that Gascoigne would do.
0: That's the type of clinical precision I would expect involving a man named Jimmy Five Bellies. I'm gonna assume <laughs> Not Svelte. Jimmy Five
1: Bellies. Not Svelte probably wasn't appreciating an economy seat going to <laughs> going to <laughs> Italy via Japan from London.
0: Oh my god. All right. Well you mentioned Italy there. Uh, a man we got to see play plenty in Italy, I'm gonna guess, uh, features on your list at some point. Should we talk Zlatan now?
1: I guess we should at some point. No. Now is better time than any. Let's this is Zlatan Ibrahimovic's um, proposed move to Arsenal. This mm-hmm. is one we've heard about. This is one we've seen the pictures of. I'm guessing he's sort of 16, 17-year-old Zlatan you holding it. up the Arsenal shirt with his name on the back. Uh, reportedly, he had a trial. He met Arsene Wenger. And this is where the quotes from his book, the book that Zlatan Semi wrote yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I waited semi-wrote. for <laughs> Yeah. I waited for Arsen to convince me that I should join Arsenal, but he didn't even try, said Zlatan in his book. He never made me a serious offer. It was more I want to see how good you are, what kind of player you are, have a trial, and then we get the immortal line, Zlatan doesn't do trials. <laughs> so I think You the- either
0: know know me or you don't, and if you don't know me, you can't really want me. That's that's the <laughs> other quote I saw about this one.
1: Yeah, said the 16-year-old Swede who came and to Arsenal the for thing, a
0: trial. Right. D- yeah. Did you see Wenger's, or Wenger's response to this? Yeah. All right, um, go, go ahead if you have it. That I don't was, have it written was, down,
1: but it was along the lines of, you know, we gave lots of players trials, and he was one who came for it, basically, wasn't it?
0: You basically, yeah, it was like, we, the story is true. I wanted to see him. Uh, I did not know him. You cannot sign players you have not seen at all because it is not serious. He was 16. I asked him to have a little <laughs> training session with the first team. He didn't want to do it. Do I regret it? No. I will continue to do that unless our scouts have seen the player and say, look, he is absolutely 100%, then I will trust them. But, like, yeah, if you're 16 years old and you're like, nah, I don't fancy a about. there are some people who would maybe be like, this kid, he's got it. Like, that is the 80s action movie move to be like, no, I already know I'm good enough. And then, like, the manager (laughs) hires Stallone on on the spot. But, yeah, more likely is the coach is going to be like, all right, 16-year-old, no, thank you. Like, I'll I'll find somebody else uh, on your way. And that is pretty much how that
1: goes down. You have a wonderful attitude, (laughs) 16-year-old. Let me sign you. Can I get you anything? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But what's interesting here is the timing. If if Zlatan was 16, I'm thinking this is about 96, 97. Mm -hmm. This is when sort of Ian Wright is the de facto Arsenal striker. What if Zlatan comes in, makes a big splash in the first season or two, and Thierry Henry either never comes or never comes to prominence at arsenal
0: i had that as well because the big thing with wenger uh he brings in Henri, who at the time was like struggling like sometimes being played as a left wing back usually being played as a left winger and that's what wenger had utilized him at at monaco i believe and he brings him in and basically the whole pitch there is you're gonna be my number nine you're gonna be my striker and that's what happens and we know how that goes does that happen if Zlatan is there, being the number nine, literally wearing the number nine shirt? Probably mm. not. And so either at best we have yeah, Henri as a winger who has an impact. More likely we have Henri who doesn't really establish himself, but is still very good. Or there is that situation if he doesn't move there at all, and we have an entirely different timeline. Mm. Fun to think about, <laughs> huh? <laughs> right, here's my question then, though. Like thinking about that Invincibles team. Yeah. Does Zlatan help? Like, could he come in and, and sort of plug in and be that center forward if Henri not there? Or let's put, like, Henri at left wing instead of Robert Perez. and it's, uh, like, Henri on the left, Bergkamp as the 10, Zlatan ahead of them. That feels like it's still an Invincibles team because we have an era in which Zlatan will not yet refuse to run. So he's still mobile, at least a little bit. <laughs>
1: that does sound very good. I mean, the only uh, variable, I think, is Zlatan's personality and attitude in the dressing room, surely. What do you mean? Not. No, I mean, not, I'm not saying that Thierry Henry is the easiest person in the world to get along with, but I think that Zlatan might have rubbed a few people the wrong way. Oh, you mean
0: possibly. the 16 year old who refused to uh, go on a trial? Yeah, I yeah, think he probably would yeah. have rubbed them. <laughs> especially <laughs> because you still had the like old Arsenal guard in there as well. Like exactly, The yeah, Lee yeah. Dixon would have had a word. I'm guessing. Yeah,
1: Ray Parlour would not have stood for that. He would not.
0: Uh, I am. I am. Interested in Arsenal for a moment Because I also want to talk uh, Ronaldo at this point uh, we, As I said earlier, Ronaldo could have gone to Arsenal In 2003 Very similar to Zlatan in that It's almost the same story uh, A then 18 year old uh, uh, Ronaldo Goes to Arsenal, he does train <laughs> We should note, he does not refuse the trial uh, He is also presented a number 9 jersey With his name on it I think that was more of a just like Hey you're here, here's a jersey Not a like you'll be our number 9 But Arsenal are quoted uh, a price they balk at that price, Ryan. Do you know the exorbitant fee they were quoted in 2003? Go on. Four million pounds. Uh, Man United eventually yeah. spent 12 million to bring in Ronaldo. Uh, yeah, Wenger said we we could have had him for four million or a third of what Man United paid, but basically, as we deliberated. Carlos Queiroz, who had had connections to Ronaldo uh, from his time at Sporting, was then uh, the first-team coach at Manchester United, told Sir Alex Ferguson, like, hey, this guy is really, really good. We should probably be on this. And then it just happens that Man United play uh, Sporting, and Ronaldo basically destroys, I think it's John O'Shea, who gets just crushed uh, by Ronaldo. And Ferguson yeah. swoops in, uh, pays the fee, they bring in Ronaldo, and that is all she wrote. But 2003, Ronaldo, 18 years old also could have fit in very well with that Invincibles team could have been a a very crafty step over running at you winger uh, that was definitely the way he was when he came into Manchester United yeah and he, you do really have another like uh, argument there you could have had a massive dynasty at Arsenal more so than they had more so than even the Invincibles but that could have been a very strong team for a very strong amount of time if you look at what Manchester United were with
1: a peak Ronaldo there. To paraphrase Jack Walker, I mean, why get Cristiano Ronaldo when you've got the Romford Pele Ray Parler on the wing? That's the question. <laughs> I mean, that's the
0: age-old question. It really, really is. It, it just, Ronaldo... Plus, Ferguson seems like not the match made in heaven, but I guess it ended up being that way. Whereas Wenger in that era and Ronaldo, a young Ronaldo coming in, it's like the continental European managing the continental European, Wenger who's all about like new ideas and new approaches and let's try different stuff. Like You could see how he also would have been a father figure. I, think I want to go to that sliding doors world and just see if Ronaldo had the success and is the Ronaldo that we know today or if he... I don't know, Has he's also in a Paraguayan prison somehow. Maybe that's the butterfly effect that we never saw coming.
1: I wonder if Arsene Wenger would have seen Ronaldo at that age and said, you know, those, you know how you do 25 step overs when you get the ball every single time? Do less. <laughs> do less. I wonder if he was sort of uh, stamped on his spirit a little bit. I mean, that's
0: that's pretty much what was needed, and I think having Roy Keane literally stamp on him as well sort of uh, <laughs> tightened up some of those stepovers. Uh, I Very don't true. have any more Roy Keane. I don't think I have any more Ronaldo. We do have lots of other players to talk about, but first, I would like to talk about today's sponsor, Roman. Ryan Bailey, I'm guessing you know this. See, so we've moved to an ad, so now it's first and last again. On average, in the United States, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor that's in major U.S. cities, and that's prior to our present pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. Those numbers have probably adjusted just a little bit uh whereas nowadays we're maybe not trying to leave our home as much uh we do still need to see doctors but it's a more stressful thing and that's where roman has you covered because you can use the digital platform you can find a doctor license in your state all from the comfort of your home no leaving your home ryan you can just stay there and find your doctor
1: that's very much what I'm all about at the moment, TJ, yeah. staying at home as we all should be. And our friends at Roman, as you say, they spent years building a digital platform that can be used to connect your doctor, your licensed doctor mm-hmm. in your state, I should say, all from the comfort of the place where you're spending all your time right now. Roman makes it convenient to get that treatment on your schedule. You just grab your phone or your computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours. That's right. And really,
0: 24-hour response is much better, especially when you're dealing with an issue like erectile dysfunction. You don't want to have to wait a month uh, to deal with it. You get to spend those 29 days, that average of 29 days, just thinking about the problem and is it going to be rectified and how am I going to rectify it with Roman. You can find uh, fast and effective uh, solutions if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you. They will ship to you uh, with free uh, two-day shipping, so you get mm. uh, the product as quickly as you can. There are no commitments. You can cancel anytime, time, so you don't feel that pressure either. So if you're struggling with ED, you can go to GetRoman.com, and the code is TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. One more time, that's GetRoman.com slash TSS. Uh, one more time, GetRoman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping thank you very much to get roman slash roman for sponsoring today's episode ryan where should we go next in the what might have been transfer sagas
1: let's go from the glorious uh pristine fields of london and highbury and the emirates and arsenal to the reebok stadium bolton bolton wanderers is where we're gonna <laughs> head now all right uh, and this is the story of Rivaldo mm-hmm. nearly going to Bolton. This is an interesting one. This is one where uh, Big Sam Allardyce comes up. I think he comes up again in in one of our one or two of our stories, which we he might does. talk about later. This is 2004. This is when Rivaldo uh, was at Cruzeiro. I think he was released after 11 games there. He would formerly, of course, played with Milan and um, and Barcelona and all that jazz. This is a period for Bolton Wanderers. When they've got some very, very good players. Yuri Djokaev, JJ Okocha, even Campo was there. And a quote from Rivaldo, I see they have clear plans for Bolton's future and together I think we could get into Europe. And I found a Guardian report from the time saying Rivaldo is very close to joining Bolton, according to his English representative Peter Harrison. I And the quote, I know for sure that Sam, Sam Allardyce, made a good impression on him. Of course he did. And so did Phil Gartside, who is the chairman owner, was the chairman owner of Bolton. Everything's looking good. Uh, so everything was looking good, but it didn't quite happen, did it? I don't think, if my memory serves me correct, that Bolton did sign Rivaldo In the end, the uh, the quotes coming here saying that Bolton pulled out of the deal because they said he was looking at the money aspect and not the football aspect. Can you believe this? A high class, you know, world talent in soccer. Shocker. He was looking at the money in going to Bolton rather than (laughs) the uh, sporting, uh, you know, the the sporting integrity of the uh, of the deal here. (laughs) I do like I do like that. Like
0: you, you've. You did a good job of uh, explaining the story, and that story is routinely like, he was definitely going. Here's all the headlines saying he's going. He didn't end up going there. They don't seem (laughs) to have kind of gotten into the why that transfer fell apart aside from, yeah, he wanted money, and we weren't okay with that because how dare you want money to move to a place like Bolton. Uh, It's an odd. It's an odd narrative for them to go with, I have to say.
1: Yeah, but this was a time when Bolton were, as I say, they had good players. Mm-hmm. They finished sixth that season. I think they finished like top eight or so in sort of the three or four seasons around that period. That season, uh, uh, El Hadji Diouf was their top scorer. That wow. was fun. He re- uh, they reached the UEFA Cup as well. Um, they did finish, as I say, I think it was eighth the year after, and they were relegated in 2012. So sort of six or seven years afterwards. So. As we know, Bolton have been in a lot of trouble in recent years and have had big trouble with, um, with with their finances. If Rivaldo had gone there, would their decline have been quite as accelerated as it was? I would say maybe... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I
0: it may have been in that like he's gonna cost more money, maybe you don't make some frugal signings, you end up like plummeting into financial obscurity or financial panic. But also possible is that you bring in this big name player, other people want to be there, it gives you the kind of credentials, the bona fides mm-hmm. to bring in more people, you keep selling at that stadium, your match day revenue is strong, you can bring in a couple more, and maybe it does also give you that stability. Plus I think Rivaldo is now a politician, so he can play the diplomatic angle, yeah. he can be the 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 politician working the crowd kissing the babies that's what you need to sell some season tickets as well
1: and definitely and uh, if there's one thing I know about politicians in Brazil they're very popular and always doing the right thing always
0: <laughs> never never wildly corrupt or terrible at all never mm. never never not a history um let's move uh, to England. Let's stay in England. <laughs> We've got a lot of non-England ones to talk about, but I want to keep it going because I'm really excited to talk about this next one. You had it on your uh, preliminary list. I'm assuming it has stayed there. Let's talk Steven Gerrard to Chelsea, shall we?
1: Shall we? Let's mm-hmm. indeed. Steven Gerrard, who was, of course, a one-club man, Liverpool through and through, up until he went to America, of course, but um, wasn't necessarily the path that, that that impression we have of Gerard wasn't necessarily what was going on behind the scenes uh, uh you'll remember there's those photos circulating of jerob wearing an Everton shirt when he was a young lad mm-hmm. uh, he had he had a trial at manchester united when he was a young lad too and more specifically he had two chances to join chelsea football club uh in sort of 2004 and 2005 uh he came tantalisingly close to doing so. So in 2004, um, this is when he was given the first chance to join Chelsea. This is when Liverpool finished a full 30 points behind Arsenal. And uh, Gerard's looking for a club with a bit more ambition. He sees Abramovich's Chelsea with Jose Mourinho. Hmm, that looks quite good. Uh, he sees sort of rumours around his deal going there. And hate mail starts arriving and, and a hate campaign is directed towards his family. Thinks, yeah maybe I should do this, but ends up staying. And I think he did the right thing, Taylor, you'll agree, because that 2004-05 season, you'll yeah. remember that Liverpool had some good fortunes mm-hmm. in the Champions League. He they played a part in a, in, in a team that had quite a good turnaround in the final that season. <laughs> uh, but a mere few days mm-hmm. after the uh, miracle in Istanbul, in, on the 5th of July 2005, Stephen Gerrard handed in a transfer request to mm-hmm. Liverpool. hmm uh, this is a club he joined at the age of age at the age of eight um, and you know as I say a matter of weeks earlier had led them to Champions League glory Mister Liverpool through and through but Josie Mourinho wanted him a 32 million pound bid came in from Chelsea and he was so close to signing he on really the dotted was. line
0: mm-hmm. mm. it could have been th- this is really one of the most interesting ones for me because on the surface it's just like Talented English player moves to Chelsea in this era was a pretty common headline. Uh, and then it obviously extends further to uh, just big-name players around the world. But in this moment, you could have had Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard playing for Jose Mourinho in an era that I feel like Jose Mourinho could have figured this out. And we could have had that answer Two could Gerrard and Lampard have played together in a midfield <laughs> together. I think it would probably not have been in the English four four two, 2 But you have to believe that like this was a move that Mourinho especially at this time period, had a strong relationship with Abramovich. They weren't yet forcing in the Shevchenkos and stuff like that. It was players that he seemed to want or had a vision for. So you would, it would then stand to reason that Mourinho had an idea for how you get Jared and Lampard playing together, and maybe it is like sort of in the, what became Michael Essien's role, uh, but in the end it doesn't happen. But if anybody could have figured it out around this time period, it does feel like it would have been Jose Mourinho.
1: Yeah, and just uh, do, do, I, I always wonder if Stephen Job regretted staying in Liverpool because I, I think he would have won some league titles, gone to Chelsea. Um, yeah. Something he didn't obviously do in a red shirt. And uh, I don't know, it's interesting to see how things would have panned out. I think, for one, he may have played in a, a Liverpool Chelsea game a few years later, but he might not have slipped over. He might have been wearing a different coloured shirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if that slip had happened, maybe he was a secret agent for Chelsea. We just don't know it. Maybe oh. that move did happen, and that's how they chose to deploy him. Of but it, it's funny It's funny how that stuff sort of falls by the wayside, because Jared obviously stays at Liverpool, as you said, uh, had already won the 2005 Champions League at that point, but has the success he does, becomes this institution now with the manager at Rangers. But and so we kind of forget that a little bit, that he was so close to moving to Chelsea that report like reports were that it was a done deal. And Wayne Rooney is similar. Like when he I, I didn't put him on my list, but there's that, that period when he really does sort of manufacture, try to manufacture and move to Man City. It only stops because Ferguson basically walks in and is like, all right, we're done with this, we're figuring this out. But that tends to be forgotten as well in the narrative of Wayne Rooney. It feels like big name players like who stayed at a club for a long time, always have that one moment when their head gets turned a little bit. And then if they stay and it's all fine, we tend to kind of overlook it when we're looking at their overall career.
1: Definitely. And this is an example of a deal where if you're looking at cynically, it might have been a ploy to get a better contract with a current club. And if I may, Taylor, Mm -hmm. move on to another situation, a very high profile deal where I think that might have been the case as well. This is Kaká of Brazil... (laughs) Moving from Milan to Manchester City in the January window of 2009. Mm-hmm. The heady days of 2009. Do you remember this one?
0: Very, very vaguely, I remember the rumors because this is when Man City were linked with like everyone on the planet, right? And yet still signing yeah. people like Roque Santa Cruz.
1: <laughs> very much and this is just after so they've got Robinho and uh, you know they're trying to get his buddy Kaká to come over as well uh they bid 100 million pounds was the mooted deal to bring in Kaká from Milan who was at this point at his peak we should say in 2000 or near enough on, on well time would tell that maybe it maybe wasn't his peak but he was Peak value, let's say that. Uh, Half a million pounds a week in wages. He was 24 at the time, was Kakar. Man City had sent a delegation to Milan to do the deal, including their chairman, Gary Cook, uh, a man whom I saw give a drunken speech at the Mad Hatter in Mm. Manhattan once, which was very entertaining. Uh, So this is uh, an interesting period for Manchester City when they're just at the very point of their growth into something much bigger. Uh, They'd signed Craig Bellamy. A few days before. <laughs> for, um, the, the day before, in fact, for $14 million. So they were going, mm-hmm. we've got Bellamy. It's time to move up to the next step. Kakar, naturally. <laughs>
0: naturally. Um, <laughs>
1: the natural step. So I don't know if you remember the images from this point. There was an image where um, Kakar decided to stay with Milan instead. And he's dangling his Milan shirt out of the window of presumably his apartment or an office. Sort of Michael Jackson with a baby style. And there's people <laughs> cheering on the, on the floor down there. And the quote... From Kakar at the time, I'm a religious person and I believe the path God decides for us is not always the most logical one. Milan had never considered any offer for me in the past. This time it was different and I had to think about it, but then I decided to stay. So this was at this point, Milan had accepted the deal. Uh, Silvio Berlusconi had accepted the deal. He was willing to let Kakar go, even though it was by far their biggest star player and so on. The club accepted it, but he didn't. And this is an interesting one because late years later, um, Kaká actually gave a quote. I think this was only a few years ago. He said, I guess my decision to, de- to deny City's offer is proof that money was never, pr- never a priority in my decisions. And I think that's pretty admirable of Kaká, to be honest, for turning down the money and staying with Milan. But as time would tell, mm-hmm. maybe he should have taken that big money deal. Because if you recall, this is January 2009 we're talking about in that summer he signed for Real Madrid for mm-hmm. a club record. I believe it was 65 million. You'll also recall a week later, that very same club signed Cristiano Ronaldo for mm-hmm. another club record fee. Uh, you might recall that Ronaldo had a rather better time at Real Madrid than Kaká did, who's kind of... Uh, fell out of favour a little bit, had injury issues, so on and so on. So you have to wonder if his path would have been different if he'd have come to the Premier League instead, whether he'd have have, have greater favour in the team he was in. It's all very interesting, is I, I think it probably works better for him at Man City. I mean, obviously,
0: mm. that's hindsight 2020 again. But, like, to your point, he goes to Madrid. There's all this pressure on him. He has this reputation coming in. But it's Madrid, it's still, in my mind, Galacticos, even though that's a little bit earlier. But you have all these massive players, as you've already said. And and it's worth noting there that, like, in the way that he didn't want to move to Man City and sort of, like, block that move from happening, as I recall, the narrative of the time was that he also didn't want to go to Real Madrid, really. And it was that mm. uh, Milan, at this point, Berlusconi uh, is in trouble, I think, doesn't have the, the money that he once did. And so this is when they sort of start selling resources. I believe it's the same time period of – or it's later on, I guess, that it's Thiago uh, Silva and um, – Uh, Zlatan go but it's still like in this era of Milan maybe offloading some talents as opposed to keeping them on board so it's a Kaká who still probably doesn't want to leave the club and he didn't want to leave so he doesn't go to City but now he doesn't want to leave but he ends up at Madrid and maybe isn't quite as motivated as he would have been otherwise so yeah maybe if he moves to Man City it's just less pressure right away even though there still would have been plenty of pressure but yeah I think it could have worked for him in the long run that's really fascinating that would have been really interesting to see.
1: It really would have. And he, he'd have been the biggest player at the club, probably the biggest player in the Premier League at the time, and instead he went to be second fiddle at Real Madrid. So you can see how mentality-wise that would have been a different, uh, uh, different scenario for him. And also, could he have been the man that put Rubinho back on track at Man City? The eternal question, Taylor.
0: I mean, they've got the, the national team connection. Maybe that could have yeah. been it. And instead, we have Rubinho fleeing criminal charges, I believe, uh, still at this time period. Uh, maybe Maybe that would have gone a little bit better for the two of them if they'd stayed together at Man City or been together at Man City. Uh, Ryan, we've we've gone long, as we we tend to do, Mm -hmm. I do still have several more to go, Uh, I will try to kind of rattle through them relatively quickly, but since we've gone chronologically, I'll keep that going for now, because I want to jump to 2015 for a moment to talk David De Gea, because I feel like we kind of have to bring that one up in terms of a move that seemed like it was very much going to happen, but then did not, Fact Machine Gate, and that move to Real Madrid, do you remember your reactions, or do you remember when that happened, and sort of what content that led you to create?
1: Um, I, I, I got the shudders of Schadenfreude, I believe, all over my body, Taylor, when that <laughs> happened, and I, 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 that was uh, very amusing in the sort of the blogs I was writing at that time. Yes, and it made me think back to when he first joined Manchester United, and he was the flop. Who was going to be sold, sent back to Spain with his tail between his legs? And yeah. he was—I think he was famous for stealing donuts from the Tesco supermarket. That was about all that uh, all that we knew of him at that point. And, and getting then,
0: scored on from distance—it was d- donuts and distance. Those are the two things.
1: Yeah, donuts—the uh, double Ds is what we knew D D G for, the D D G double Ds, if you will. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 things ended up quite differently, if not for the antiquated. Telecommunications of a fax machine.
0: Yeah. And the, the quick the quick summary, I, I read a few things in preparation for this show. But my quick summary has always been basically Madrid wanted De Gea, thought they could get him for cheaper than Man United were asking, thought Man United would get desperate. So they kind of held off getting the deal done until that final deadline day. Then Madrid's argument was like, in order to put details into a system, they have to wait for Man United. They did not have to wait for Man United. And as a result, they missed their deadline. Uh, Fax machines involved in there as well. But it basically feels like it was Madrid sort of thinking they had all the leverage. And in the end, that one coming home to roost a little bit. That said, they do then uh, go on to win some Champions Leagues. So I think they're probably not too... Sad about it, and maybe Courtois will work out. Uh, time will tell. But uh, they do end up getting their young uh, goalkeeper for the future, who they immediately boo and don't want around
1: anymore. Oh, wonderful place that um, yeah. that Bernabeu, isn't it? I yeah. love it. Um, talking of the Bernabeu, tete. yeah. Uh, can I can I give my final offering of oh, this podcast? It's a big one. Mm-hmm. It is a player who uh, who knows the Bernabeu all too well, but uh, yes. things could have been very different for him. Gareth Bale, uh, who almost went to Birmingham City in the 2009-10 season. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is an article from the 21st of October 2009 on the Daily Fail. It's still there right now. Spurs flop Gareth could bail out in January. That's a good pun. As Birmingham boss Alex McLeish eyes £3 million defender. This is at a time when Gareth Bale was much maligned as a left back at Tottenham. Harry Redknapp's Tottenham. Um, He was... I I, I do remember from my blog, The Spoiler, I used to write back in the day, writing about the curse of Gareth Bale. Uh, there was a point, I think it was 24 games he went where he didn't win, where Tottenham didn't win whenever he played, whenever he started. And there was a huge celebration when they finally won a game when he was involved. And it was a long time into mm-hmm. his Tottenham career. And he was an injury player and player. He barely played in the inform- in this 2009-10 season. Uh, Benoit Asuokoto. The man who famously does not like soccer was the first choice um, at Tottenham at the time. So he was struggling to get his place there. This is a point where Birmingham City were pretty flush with cash after Carson Yang uh, did the takeover there. So we had a point where Gareth Bale was a flop at the point, uh, a flop at this time. He could almost have come to St Andrews, the field where, as we mentioned last week, Barry Fry took a whiz in all four corners to break a curse, curse joining curse, <laughs> curse broken. Um, so th- this is um, a quote from Alex McLeish, the Birmingham manager at the time. I chanced my arm early on in the week, giving Redknapp a ring and asking whether we could take Gareth on loan. We thought maybe we could take the pressure off with him coming to a smaller club, help him find his feet. Redknapp replied, Not a chance that I would sell him. He's a kid with a big future and is learning the game. That's a very hindsighty quote there, Harry Redknapp. (laughs) That's all I can say about that. Uh, But he's a top, top player, leaning out of a Range Rover window, so on and so forth. And it turns out that it was quite a good decision for Tottenham to hang on to him because the following season he blossomed. I think the following season was the famous Champions League taxi for Mike on game, um, moved further up the field, won lots of awards, made lots of money, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Birmingham City, uh, in 2011, they won the League Cup. Yeah, the greatest, they did. The greatest uh, achievement of the club's history. They were also relegated. They were. They've been in a championship ever since. So things might have been a little different uh, because Birmingham, instead of buying Gareth Bale, they bought Craig Gardner from Aston Villa for £3 million, the same £3 million that could have been invested in Gareth Bale. He scored a few goals from midfield and, uh, you know, wasn't, qu- uh, wasn't quite as impactful as Gareth Bale might have been for them, arguably. You don't think so? I don't think so. <laughs> um,
0: you mentioned Alex McLeish there. I have another Alex McLeish one for you, uh, but it goes back to when Alex McLeish was in charge of Rangers back in 2004. Are you familiar with this one? Go ahead. So in 2004. Uh, Barry Ferguson has just moved on to the to Blackburn uh, Rovers. Excuse me, not Rangers. That doesn't make sense. Blackburn Rovers. Um, basically, McLeish needs to fill his spot at the time. Uh, Jan uh, Valtors is McLeish's assistant. McLeish asks him to sort of pursue any options, see if there are any possible loan uh, moves out there that they could pursue. Wouters is Dutch. He contacts his friend, uh, Hank Tencate, who is then the assistant manager at Barcelona under Frank mm. Rijkaard. And there are two players that Rangers nearly bring in to their to their first team on loan. I think when both were were fairly young. Can you guess the names of those two players? Oh, it's one of them, Lionel. One of them is Leonel Messi, <laughs> <laughs> and the other is Andres Iniesta. Uh, oh, Iniesta boy. is the one that they get the harder sell on. Iniesta is then eighteen, uh, and. He's really told, like, Tenkate basically says, like, he's a guy who we think is ready for the first team, uh, but we're not going to be able to get him minutes. He really needs some first team minutes. So if you all can guarantee that, this seems like a move that could work. Uh, and then basically, I think within a week of that, he gets promoted to Barcelona's first team and does start getting minutes. And that move never materializes. But the the story is that McLeish actually called uh, with a, like, a goal of maybe getting Iniesta, but also following up on a man named Lionel Messi because McLeish's son had supposedly uh, really, really fallen in love with the, the Argentine uh, attacker on Football Manager and was like, this guy's really, really good, and he plays there too. I bet you could get him. Uh, that approach very much rebuffed by Barcelona. But they did at one point have it in their minds on a phone call that they were going to be bringing uh, to Ibrox, both Andres Iniesta and Lionel Messi. That would have been an interesting Rangers campaign, to say the least.
1: Oh. Talk about um, Zidane going to Blackburn. Messi going to Glasgow would have been a culture shock and a half. <laughs>
0: we would have had some answers about how he adjusts to wind and harsh weather conditions. We would have known that for sure. <laughs> uh, and then a couple more I wanted to get to really briefly. These from deeper in history. Uh, one would be uh, Pele, I think is how you say his name. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Ryan.
1: I would say Pelé, but I'm a European, what I know? You can say
0: Pelé. Pelé to Real Madrid. Uh, This one uh, documented pretty well in the verse. The story is called The Time Pelé Came Close to Signing for Real Madrid. But essentially, uh, in 1962, the Spanish Federation implements a ban on signing foreign players. 1966, Italy follows suit. Prior to that, or right around when those went into effect, uh, both Real Madrid and a couple different Italian clubs, Juve and Inter, I believe, pursued the signing of Pelé. Real Madrid put together a then world record bid of £250,000. Uh, it's listed in pounds. I'm assuming it was something around that uh, for his services, but that deal gets rejected, as does uh, a £500,000 offer from Juve in 1965. Inter, I think, offered 600000 in 1966 or thereabouts. Uh, all of those moves were buffed, but uh, Pele came out in the like early 2000s to say that that move to Madrid was very, very close to happening, and sort of explains why Santos, around this time period, moved to a lot of the sort of just traveling around the world playing friendlies and trying to make money, because there was a fear that Pele was going to leave, so we've got to maximize this asset while we have it. In the end, he stays there until, I believe, 1977, but briefly... Pele could have been on the move, which would have been fascinating to have him at Real Madrid with De Stefano with Pushkash. You're going to assume that they win some more European Cups. Would would have been my guess. Uh, would
1: would, um, would Pele have got his thousand goals though? That's probably
0: not, but he still would have claimed it. I'm sure.
1: He would just count them in training, I guess, yeah. like he did anyway.
0: Yeah, and around the same time period, another one... Yes, he definitely would have counted that. Uh, there was also supposedly a move from uh, Juventus for Gorincha. Uh, Gorincha ends up playing for Botafogo from 1953 to 1966. He makes 238 appearances, but basically there's a precipitous decline after the 62 World Cup. Uh, strong issues with alcohol. He turns like insular. I think at, the, at one point it's basically his wife is taking care of him and he just sort of drinks all day. Um, and that is in the immediate aftermath of 1962 but it's in 1963 Juve offered $1 million uh, for Gorincha uh, and the move advances to the point where he plays a game for Juve, it's an exhibition game and they don't like his level of fatigue, they think he's out of shape they think he's not really going to be able to fit so they don't end up pursuing the offer I think they end up mm-hmm. slashing the amount to like $700,000, Botafogo say no but it turned out years later Gorincha had played a game that week already so he played a game three days before for a different club and he injured himself in that game so he's carrying an injury having played on three days rest you would expect Grincha to be a little bit soft but that's a player who really <laughs> does kind of fall into obscurity and becomes a cautionary tale but if he goes to Juve maybe that curbs that behavior a little bit maybe he doesn't have the kind of familiarity that he has in Brazil and so it elevates his game and Grincha is a player that I really really love and enjoy watching in the clips that you're able to watch and mm. at Juve in the 60s You could have had another sort of dynasty there and he could have kind of continued on, maybe plays in 66, maybe plays in 70. Who knows? Very unlikely. But I would have loved to have a world in which we had more Gorincha. So those are two historical ones. A third one. Can I just ask about Mm Gorincha?
1: If he would have gone over to Italy, you know, would he have brought his goat with him? He had a goat? Uh, Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know the story. so uh, uh, it's not for now. It's not the time or the place. But oh uh, Google the words "garincha" and "goat" and make sure there are no children around. Oh boy!
0: Oh boy! Oh boy! All right. Well, uh, people may have already done that, but but before they do, I'm gonna uh, give you my my final two that I have on my list. Another one uh, from the history books would be Diego Maradona. Do you know where he almost went, Ryan Bailey, in 1978? Did he almost go to the Blades? He almost went to Sheffield United. That is right. Blades manager Harry Haslam went on a scouting trip in Argentina in 1978. He spots a certain 17-year-old playing for Argentinos Juniors. Uh, He encourages his club to put together a bid. I think the reported fee, the quoted fee, would have been $200,000 pounds. Two things to note here. Number one, the record at the time, the British record at least, was Kevin Keegan, the Newcastle, for £500,000 from Hamburg. Uh, so that, I think it was in 77. But that shows you 500000 versus £200,000. is a lot to ask for a uh, 17-year-old player that they don't really know. And also worth noting that at this time, Sheffield United are in the second division. So if they had gotten that money together, I think in the end they spent 150000 on a different Argentine who ends up being, I think, the Argentina national team coach. So it works out, I guess. But It would have been fascinating to get Diego Maradona in 1978-79 turning out for a second division Sheffield United team. Uh, I think we could probably get an HBO documentary about that one the way we did the Napoli team. But uh, Maradona in, in, in Sheffield. How do you think that goes, Ryan? Do you think Maradona enjoys his time in England?
1: I'm not sure because we know that he got kicked a lot generally when he played and given the uh, political tensions that soon came between Argentina and the UK in the years that followed, I'm not sure his reception would have been rousing. Should we say? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. And then
0: on <laughs> top of that, we do know that like he he references the Falkland Islands when talking about the 66 World Cup. So yes, you're right. I think it probably would have been near and dear. He would maybe not have loved his time in England. Maybe he forces another move. Maybe he ends it up Napoli no matter what. All right. So uh, maybe that's not such a big sliding door moment for us. Uh, the final one <laughs> that I have, it comes from Major League Soccer, and it's Didier Drogba and the poor old city of Chicago. Chicago- Almost had Jermaine Jones, they lose him on a coin flip, he ends up in New England. Then they think they have Didier Drogba. Uh, they are confident that that signer, signature is going to occur. Uh, this from a Raul Gutierrez-Apostal story for SB Nation. Uh, prior to Drogba joining, uh, excuse me, I'll get to that in a moment. But basically, they think they're going to sign him. And then at the last minute, Drogba decides he wants to play somewhere where they speak French. That would be Montreal. So the move ends up kind of getting forced through to Montreal. Chicago get a bunch of gam-tam and that's all good. But in terms of the way it goes for their season, Raul Gutierrez-Apostol uh, wrote, Prior to Drogba joining the Impact, had 11 losses, 4 draws in 23 games. The Fire, at that same time, had 12 losses and 5 draws. Both teams were scraping the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Drogba joins the Impact on match day 24, scored a hat-trick against the Fire, no less. He later scored 7 more that season and led them to the Eastern Conference semifinals. The fire remained the fire. But this could have been a moment where they get Didier Drogba, and it's another one of those. You bring him in. Yes, he's 37, but we know what he did with Montreal, so it would have been fine. But he, like, we now know that he wanted to have ownership roots. He has the interest in Phoenix. He goes there, he plays there, he's a player owner. Mm-hmm. Could he have invested in the fire? Would he have established a bit more credibility? Would more people have wanted to go play with Didier Drogba the way I think a lot of people were inclined to do for that season and a half in Montreal? there's a lot of what ifs that could have gone a very different way but in the end Drogba wants to speak French so to Montreal he goes and to the success goes Montreal
1: but if Drogba had gone to Chicago, then arguably Bastian Schweinsteiger wouldn't have come to try to win the World Cup for them.
0: Exactly, and then we never would have gotten that. See, these are—it's all—it's all what seems like a, a bad situation can always be a good one because we get great quotes and great moments uh, <laughs> later on. Later on, Indeed. but for now, Ryan, we have—I think—with that talked about twenty players or so. So twenty of the biggest moves that almost happened but did not. Is there a favorite one for you in that in that very lengthy list? One that you thought was the most interesting for whatever reason?
1: I thought it was Bell to Birmingham, but I just like the Ronaldinho drunk on the, on the FaceTime call now. That's my favorite now for sure.
0: <laughs> uh, I am going with Gorincha to Juve, albeit it's like a, a quick one. There's not a lot of story to it. It doesn't have the drama of De Gea or a volcano with Lewandowski. But just <laughs> the idea of Gorincho staying at his prime and like staying motivated, I don't think that would have happened because I don't think that was his mentality to begin with. But maybe, just maybe it could have been, and that would have been a different world to live in. So, Grincia, albeit He could
1: have been the goat instead of, uh, anyway, Google it. All
0: right, well, Ryan uh, said he needed to be done in order to, uh, he has a meeting with a goat, is what I have here in the notes. (laughs) So, Ryan, anything else you'd like to add before I let you go hang out with a goat?
1: Oh, boy, you're going to love it when you Google it.
0: (laughs) I mean, I can guess where it's going, so. (laughs) That's it from me, Clive. (laughs) <laughs> all right well ryan i enjoyed this we'll be back next week w- what have we uh, agreed to do next week i forget uh fun and games i'm sure <laughs> all right i like the sound of fun and games i think that's also ryan's diplomatic way of saying that i have not yet suggested topics nor have we agreed upon anything so ryan thank you for being diplomatic thank you for taking over an hour to discuss transfers that almost happened but did not as well as goats and other fun topics
1: Always a pleasure, never a chore. Google it.